I want to welcome you back to the Close Quarter Dad podcast. In this episode, we're going to be rolling out a very special recording of the guest that we had at the Child Safety Summit back in June of 2022. This is going to be the first of all of the recordings that we did during those three days. In this event, we had 850 fathers attend, 22 mothers, and 14 conversations were had with some of the absolute best trainers, authors, and professional advocates for child safety. The spectrum ran across all topics when it concerns keeping your kids safe. One of the most important things about this summit was to invite fathers into the conversation with the best of the best on these topics. So I hope you enjoy. Today, we are going to be kicking it off with none other than Today, we're going to be kicking it off with none other than Coach Tony Blauer. Now, he needs no introduction, but if you don't know, you cannot have a conversation about the topic of fear when it comes to personal protection and safety and understanding where fear comes from, how to manage it, and how to use it. Uh, Coach Tony is sought after by military, law enforcement, first response, and large agencies that are in need of keeping people safe and training them to do so outside of the walls of traditional martial arts or sport or competitive martial arts. He is the go-to person on this topic. And as a father himself, you simply could not have a conversation about keeping kids safe and the topics of fear and the topics that Coach Tony brings to the table without him present. And I am so proud. I was so honored to have him accept uh, my invitation to the conversation and then to double down with a second conversation with him because uh, we went so deep and what he was able to provide for us was so meaningful. So this is part one of teaching your kids to know fear with coach Tony Blauer. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the close quarter dad podcast discussions about raising your kids with confidence, safety, and resilience. I'm your host, Adam Mitchell, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We are here today with a man, a coach, someone who needs no introduction, and we are honored to have Coach Tony Blauer with us today. Coach Tony, thank you so much for joining us, supporting the Child Safety Summit, and uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you, Adam. You know, when you reached out, uh, immediately I was like, first of all, close quarter dad. I was like, wow, this is this is a cool title, uh, anything for kids. Uh, you know, they're our future. And then when I dove a little bit more into your, your background, your mission, you know, my team, we get, we get hit up with, Hey, can you be on this podcast? Can you do that? And, and, uh, I, I try to say yes, most of the time, but this was like an absolute hundred percent, especially, I mean, it's always been important, but, but given what's been going on the last couple of years, this is, this can't be more important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Tony, I want to I want to begin just with a little. You know, I got to be I got to be fair to some of our listeners and viewers here. They may not be uh, um, they they may not recognize you, and if they they may be completely new to this space of personal protection and self defense, um, if they have any any uh, experience in it, they know who you are, and they know they understand the value that this time that we're going to spend together is. But for those who don't, I just want to give an opportunity 
for you to share with us a little bit about uh, your background, the work that you do, and uh, you know the authority that you speak from here in this topic. Um, yeah, <laughs> my elevator speech. Uh, I don't <laughs> have one. I, I don't. I don't have one. So, uh, just for for reference, I, I'm I'm obsessed with helping people learn how to live safer lives uh, through understanding uh, instincts, intuition as it relates to violence, fear, and aggression. And uh, I've been doing that for, for over four decades. It's, uh, you know, I, I started, I think I started this in my, in the 60s when I was a kid. I was afraid of everything as an athlete. I was a very, very good athlete. And, uh, but I'd be up at bat or I'd be in a wrestling tournament, or I'd be uh, at the top of a ski hill as you know, one of the top on the team because I was an all-around athlete, but I was scared to death of uh, the outcome and the experience. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's funny because a lot of people have suffered with that, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't know what to do. Mm. And uh, so I was, I was good, but I never won. And and you know the objective in competition, of course, is to win. But if you're if you're losing because someone's better than you, that's okay. You know, there's a lesson there, and, and it can inspire you. But if you're losing because you don't have it here, like that sucks because that that bleeds out into all, all other aspects of your life. So that was kind of my you know this is kind of like a like a, a rabbit hole on on why this shirt why. My, my focus, the two big things in my company now, here we are decades, decades later, I'm 62. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been teaching over four decades. Is there was a serendipitous realization in the 80s that if you don't manage your fear, you don't manage to fight. And uh, doesn't guarantee victory, but it's, it's a profound, it was a profound realization. Because as a self-defense coach, as a martial artist, I realized... Uh, we were focusing on technical, but not on tactical. We weren't focusing on, well, what's the scenario and what is the outcome? And, uh, you know, if somebody didn't do well sparring, we'd say, well, you didn't turn your hip or your timing was off or your, you had your hands too low. It was always technical. Yeah. Nobody ever went, what's going on here, up here? Cause at the end of the day, that's everything. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, I started martial arts in, in, in the 70s and uh, got, got really good but stayed afraid. And, you know, had confrontations, stuff like that. But, you know, I'd look at how I, I what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, managed to escape without, without getting my ass kicked. And people go, wow, that was so cool you did that. But I was like, I was like holy shit, how did that even happen? I wasn't in control of my movements. And, and, and that was this connection between instincts and intuition that led to the whole spear system, uh, probably, probably the world's only behaviorally based approach to self-defense where we're studying physiology, kinesiology, and psychology, uh, actual real science, and, um, uh, and then applying that. How do, we, how do we get people safer sooner? And uh, you know, it's it's been it's been decades, and this is a little long-winded. Like, how did you start? Uh, you know, if you uh, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to do the thing like, 
Oh, I've trained uh, every acronym agency. Yeah. We train military yeah. law enforcement. Uh, you know, we're, we're leading authorities and consultants for, like I wanted your audience to hear the story a little bit more. Uh, the, I've always been a coach. I taught skiing when I was 16 years old. I, I grew up on skis. I was already teaching. I taught tennis. I taught, I just loved helping people. And uh, I got asked to help a kid overcome a bully situation when he was 15. One of my dad's close friends knew I was into martial arts and he said, Mitch is having an issue in school. Would you, would you teach him? It was 1980-ish. Uh, and I was working for four bucks and four bucks, four and a quarter an hour in the shipping, uh, in the shipping area, of my dad's company, you know, dropped out of school, went to work for him and I'm shipping and sweeping in the back for four and a quarter. But we used to get these huge boxes in, uh, from overseas with, with it was a ladies, uh, a garment industry, uh, textiles. And these huge boxes would come in at them and you could punch them like Rocky would punch sides of beef. So Joey sees me hitting nailing boxes and I'm doing jump back kicks on them. And I was just like a nut fanatic for martial arts. And uh, he says, Hey, I want you to teach my son. And uh, I said, okay. And happy to do it. I knew I'd known them for years. And uh, he says, I want to pay you. And I said, I don't want your money. And he says, look, I'm going to pay you 20 bucks. So I'm, I'm, pretty fast with math. I go, Oh, that must mean five classes. Cause I make $4 an hour. And then he says, uh, so I'll pay you 20. I go, look, I don't want your money. He says, no, 20 bucks. And you show up on time and you teach my son. Cause I don't want him to be bullied. And, uh, I'll give you 20 each class. And all of a sudden I'm going 20. I was like, I was blown away. The, uh, and literally, Within, I would say a month, I had 20 or 30 private students because they, they lived in a nice area. And as soon as Mitchell had a lesson, you know, his brother Steve was like, how come Mitch gets private self-defense lessons? And then we're working out outside and then, you know, the, uh, the neighbors across the street. And like, like literally in a month, I had 20 to 30 and it just grew five years later. I stopped working for my dad, uh, maybe even sooner. And I was just like full time teaching seven days a week, hundreds and hundreds of, of, of thousands over the years. But fast forward to today, the, uh, uh, you know, I designed some equipment for scenario based training, uh, law enforcement started to look at it. Next thing I know, I'm designing equipment for force on force scenario training. And, uh, Navy SEALs were my first client out in Coronado. And, you know, that turned into a, a, a massive, you know, side of my company. So we've got three verticals now. We teach, uh, we've got a whole law enforcement, uh, mental health, healthcare, public safety side that, that uh, we teach. We've got the uh, scenario and equipment design. And then we uh, train trainers and of course, I guess there's four verticals. We've got the whole, the, the coaching side where we, we work on the no fear program, uh, w without touching the physical self-defense really just, you know, the, the mindset up there. That's fascinating. I, you know, the, the, the first story 
uh, I've been following your work for years now, and uh, I was actually introduced to your work from a close friend of mine, and he was a trainer over in Rotterdam uh, years ago. And uh, since then, I've been following your work and uh, just a huge, huge fan, but I'd never heard that. Um, you know, I, I'd love to have a further discussion with you. Now's not the time, but I was looking through the, uh, your corporate page for, uh, you have a, a specific website for corporate clients and the, you know, you were just mentioning the content on like mental health and processing and things like that. That's just, that's a fascinating and I think extremely overlooked topic. You know, one of the things that I try to really uh, impart on dads is to understand that violence doesn't exist. And you can, I'm sure you'll be able to expand much further on this. And I, I know we don't have time for it, but, you know, I try to um, really make men understand that you don't want to prepare your children for just that point of no return, just that one, just the, you know, when it goes hands on, but also that, um, that lead into, or the pre-conflict phase and the escalation, what all the indicators are there. And then the rise of fear as it gets to that point where too many people focus on just that one place, but then there's that post-conflict and everything that happens afterwards. Uh, and, I'd really, really love to explore uh, more conversation and, and, and more of your work on that, the mental side of things, the, the mental health and how it affects people long term, because I'm truly fascinated by that, especially in this time now. I think it's, it's important where most self-defense programs just exist in when someone puts their hand on you, you do this. And it's just not the case. It's not responsible teaching. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you, if you Google... Um the generic definition for self-defense, most universal definitions will have language to the effect of uh, the physical act of protecting your property or your, your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 jumps, it jumps right into after the attack has happened. There's no pre-fight. There's no lead-up. There's no situational awareness. There's no de-escalation. And, and we've, you know, it's funny because the, the buzzword du jour that you know the the is de-escalation de-escalation especially with our our law enforcement communities if you go back and look at some of our original manuals from the 80s we were talking about our fighting stance was a non-violent posture we had multiple non-violent postures recognizing that body language and tone were the greater influences and influencers in de-escalation and our we would talk about it, this Trojan horse mentality that no one should ever see the warrior inside, that your job is always to morally, ethically, legally diffuse something. We're, we're talking about this in the 80s, right? So, so uh, yeah, we're into the whole, I've got a, a graphic uh, called the timeline of violence. And uh, it just explains that like, if you practice your 10,000 reps of how to get out of a headlock, you have no situational awareness or pre-contact use for how a headlock is applied because if i said to you hey you know adam show me get how you get out of a headlock without even thinking the pavlovian reaction to saying this and i do this as it's part of you know i try to have fun when i'm teaching our seminars but i'll i'll ask in the audience you know there's always whether there's 10 or 50 or 100 people there who knows how to get out of a headlock hands come up okay you two, you don't know each other, right? Partner. And you'll, you'll literally see people do this. Do you want to attack me or I'll attack you? Okay, I'll, I'll defend. And without doing anything, they'll, yeah. they'll put their head 
You know, they'll, they'll go up to like, like Bob and they'll go, <laughs> they'll, actually, they'll actually like put their head down ear on somebody's solar plexus. So they go, it's so ludicrous. And of course, when I point, when I point out, if you've done 10,000 reps of learning how to get out of a headlock and the move might be great. You've also done 10,001 reps of allowing somebody to put a headlock on you. And yeah. so what we always talk about in, the, in, in this timeline of violence metaphor is it's okay to learn the gun disarm. But if all you do is the gun disarm, then neurologically, like the neural pattern of gun disarm only kicks off when the gun is in your face. And that might be too late. You're not picking up any of the pre-fight indicators, right? So uh, it, it's, it's a huge thing. And it's, in, you know, and I could spend a lot more time on that. But the problem is when when danger is close and we start to feel danger our our body's intuition picks it up every victim of violence who i've ever interviewed and every victim of violence in any uh police a really good police assessment or book if it, they were really interviewed properly every one of them reported they had a bad feeling before the attack so we're getting some sort of uh uh um uh, emotional psychological alarm system like a radar blip going something's off here something's off here but nobody's taught to have the courage to trust our intuition what can I you say about with, that timeline there when you say they felt something bad what's that timeline tony so the, so the timeline of you mean like literally yeah like when did when did that moment happen when they felt something off or they there whether it was a physiological pickup uh, yeah, I like, so there's no, there's no set. I shouldn't say there's none because there's no research around this, but there's mm -hmm. no, there's no set that thing that says like, okay, when you get this physiological fear spike within three seconds, there's an impending do like, because let's say you're following me at the mall. You know, I go take some money of ATM. I get this weird feeling. You're standing there. You, you, you know, I look at you and you, you pretend you're on your phone and I go, that was weird, but I dismiss it. Yeah. Right. And I leave. Well, do you jump me right away or do you follow me to the car? Do you attack me in the park? So in other words, when you look at the timeline of a violent encounter and is particularly now I live in California, so they have all these follow home robberies now. Well, that individual might've noticed that person like an hour earlier at, you know, uh, when they left a jewelry store after buying a watch and then they get in their nice car and you know, they go to, uh, they stop somewhere and they, they go pick up some groceries and this car is still following them. But it was like 90 minutes later that they got attacked. Yeah. Sometimes it's yeah. nine seconds later. The, the message and the way I teach is, is uh, I feel much more pragmatic because it's built around this whole idea of leaning into fear and trusting your fear spike. And this helps us, um, I hate the term circle back, it's been ruined, but uh, uh, circle back to the definition of like the average self-defense definition is, you know, the physical act of protecting your property or your life, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we looked at that, my team and I looked at that several years ago, we go, wow, what an incomplete definition. And we kicked around and we came up with this, this is a holistic definition. The, the decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. The decision to choose safety when danger is imminent. In, in the, this choose safety 
motto, it, it needs to be deployed, activated the moment you get a bad feeling. So think about this. If you get a bad feeling uh, in your tooth, should you wait like three weeks and then go to the dentist or should you go to the dentist early? Well, if you know, if you if you end up needing root canal or 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 something else or you had an infection or what have you, your dentist said, well, look, why didn't you come to me a week earlier? Like now we gotta remove the tooth. I could have done this with antibiotics or whatever. You you get it could, this could be health, it could be financial, it could be relationship. The moment we have a bad feeling, what most people do is they procrastinate because they go right into a fear loop imagining the worst, but they don't want those, they don't even want to think about it, right? Well, nowhere is this more relevant than if you're in in danger. And I'm just giving other examples just to show like you could have this as a blanket, kind of a blanket uh, approach to personal safety. Don't confuse choosing safety with playing it safe. I always point that out because some people, you know, overthinking stuff, and I've had this in almost every single seminar where I go, how many of you think that choosing safety and playing it safe are synonymous? And there's always a couple of people that are like, eh, and they're just not critically thinking through it. Choosing safety could be and let's, you know, let's, let's use like a, uh, an active killer, active shooter event, which, which of course, you know, is, should be on every parent's mind, but sometimes the safest thing you can do is barricade. Sometimes the safest thing you can do is run. And sometimes the safest thing you do is run right at the threat. Choosing safety will help you figure out one of those three directions. And, uh, that's the tricky thing. So, so, you know, this, this whole, this, I mean, this is, we could talk about this stuff for hours. Yeah. Because we were talking about how to get out of a headlock and pre-fight and, and timeline of violence. What I discovered during this journey of, of training special operators, special response, uh, special operations, law enforcement, pro fighters, MMA fighters, boxers, moms and dads, martial artists over decades, is that most everybody can acquire good physical skill and good ability to, to the neural patterns. There's no such thing in, in the literal sense of muscle memory. It's neural patterns, you know, your psychophysical response time. And um, so people can learn how to punch or block or kick or or grapple or shoot but depending on the speed aggression and proximity of the violence our executive function can be hijacked by the danger therefore we don't have access to our, con our, our cognitive brain in the way we thought we would because if I asked you Adam what would you do now if a guy did this well you would go well that's a good question Tony and you'd look up to the right and you would reflect on all the moves of decades of training. And I would do the same thing. Tony, what do you do here? I'd go, well, and I think back to all the scenarios and drills. But these are theoretical answers because they didn't happen. And what I accidentally, the serendipity of this whole thing is accidentally discovered this in the 80s doing the, all the scenario work that we did is like I go, we just told, taught them this move 
Then we put them in a high stress situation. And literally an hour later from doing all the moves in the morning and then putting on gear in the end, they couldn't pull off the moves because the scenarios were so realistic and so stressful. They went from a fine and complex motor skill orientation in the morning to primal gross motor. And depending on, on the reality or the risk or the danger, like I started to say, executive function gets hijacked, cognitive brain gets bypassed, reactive brain kicks in. And now instead of us doing wax on, wax off, we're flinching and turning our head. And then, and this is the, this is, this is the hardest thing for martial artists and type A personalities, which is most dads, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. We, we want things the way we want them. Is we want to believe the John Wick, the Bruce Lee, the, the, and the reality is there's no, there's no evidence. There's no real evidence that that ever happens. There's no video out there of anyone doing anything like Van Damme or Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee. Or you would think with all the violence in the world, we'd go, did you see that guy? And then that would be the unicorn, but there'd be proof of principle. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's fascinating. I, I went down like nine rabbit holes there. Apologies. No, not at all. It was fascinating. Uh, you know, I would like to pivot into something extremely important. And one thing that was really impactful for me was the value of a uh, ebook that you give away and it's called making friends with fear and i'm going to be uh, with your permission including that uh, along with this teaching and this conversation so that everybody can have access to it uh, and i think it's critical that any person who does has no exposure to your work um, and is fresh to this topic, or even if they're, you know, even if they've been steeped in martial arts for decades, that they get this because it's free and it's five steps or, you know, five kind of understandings to what fear is. And, and if it's all right with you, I'd like to maybe go through those in your reframes. Uh, and my goal would be to create a starting point for fathers to have with conversations and starting points to where they can begin to step into the correct course towards exposing their children help with health, healthfully and responsibly to the topic of fear. And I know that mm -hmm. it, this isn't just for self-defense. I, I don't believe, Tony, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is something that is going to help support them in all areas of their life that they're going to step into areas where they're going to feel intimidated areas where they're not going to have confidence. They feel like they're going to might, there might be failure here, but ultimately this is going to safeguard them because they're going to be comfortable in fear all the ways in the spectrum leading up into potential violence, risk, or hazard. Um, what do you, what do you say about that? Yeah, a hundred percent agree. Listen, you know, uh, the, um, there's, there was a dad, you, you might've noticed I have one or two tattoos. Uh, one of the guys who tattoos on me, his name's Aaron Jackman out in um, a ghost tattoo in Vegas. And he's got a 10 year old boy named Salem. And uh, probably maybe a year ago, maybe eight months ago, he messages me and he says that his kid is starting to exhibit real personality changes because of the mandates, because of the masks, because of you know, school and, and, and stuff. And, and he's thinks he's developing anxiety and all this, you know, he's got to play sports with a mask, you know, in, in, out in Vegas sun. Right. And, uh, 
he said, do you think you know fear program? Because we've, of course, got a, 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 we've got a live and a digital um, uh, no fear program, you know, that accompanies the book, the, the, man, the, the e-book, but as you said, it is free. And it's funny about that because when we, like it's quite long for a free ebook <laughs> and very detailed. And I got, I got criticized by that, by people in the e-commerce space. And I said, listen, I said, I really want to help people. I don't give a shit. I like, like if they read this and that's all they read, I want them to, I want them to be able to look at life differently. And so you're hundred percent spot on. I think, I think the, I'm a very physical guy and you know, we've got gunfighting programs and knife programs and multiple sailing programs and all these things. And I, and I've worked with the, the, the most elite warriors around the world for decades. And, uh, if you said to me, okay, Tony, you can't do both pick. You're only going to do talks on fear management, or you can maintain the physicality and do all that, that cool shit. And anybody who's seen videos of some of our courses and some of the action shots go, wow, like, does he want to like sit on Zoom and talk or stand up on a stage and go blah, 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 or the action shit. And I would pick the no fear now. Maybe uh, 10, 20 years ago, I would have been, but I realize now understanding fear is the, it's the gateway to uh, self-awareness. Self-awareness is the gateway to critical thinking. The combination of improving self-awareness and critical thinking improves your situational awareness. Those three, that's the superpower. You want to navigate what's going on in the world, especially now, you need self-awareness, critical thinking, and situational awareness. And I put together a, a, a methodology all based on this, it's, it's kind of, I get goosebumps thinking about it. We get a fear spike. We get a bad feeling when something's wrong. And then you either believe the propaganda or you do your own research. And even if the, the, the lies surround you, you, your intuition tells you something's off. This goes for uh, bully prevention, counter kidnapping, uh, someone robbing a, a robbery, uh, a stranger at the door knocking on the door, all of these other areas like around like yours and I, you know, our love of martial arts and self defense. But you know, in 2010, I lost a 12 million dollar company. My my uh, COO did a deal with a partner, and and they they fucked me. And here I am, literally, on from Friday to Monday, in, in three days, lost the company, dissolved it a week later. I bring that up because I had bad feelings about stuff. And if I whiteboarded, you know, a timeline of violence now, I'd go, oh, that was the first pre-contact cue. And that was the second pre-contact cue. And, that was, and oh, now I'm in the headlock and I don't have an escape. And I've done talks for corporations on this. How does like this, you know, a combatives expert who teaches situational awareness get, and it's crazy. Like I, and, and this is, and this is the interesting thing is 
when I pressed some of the things to resolve my into, hey guys, what's going on with this thing? You guys move the the holding company, you change the name. Well, my COO and oh, that's okay. It's a it's a tax benefit for them. It doesn't affect us. You know, they had their story and they, their line. I was I was tricked by very sophisticated people, but I I, I share that that you know, and I'm obviously that that's not a I'm not bragging about losing a twelve million dollar company. But I'm talking about like everything in life. There's a pre-contact you. There's, and I can ask you, have you ever been trade in business or in a relationship or by a friend? And then afterwards said to somebody, man, I knew that was going to happen. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, every, like, anytime I ask that in the seminar, everyone goes like, of course, many times. I go, but if you knew it was going to happen, why'd you let it? Right. Because we don't teach the courage to trust our intuition and lean into it. And then we don't have, we don't have like a, an archeological, like a metaphoric archeological map. And then that's our, our, our cycle behavior that we teach is how do I look at a scenario and then go through a fear loop and come out the other side, uh, uh, stronger or safer as a result. So it's, um, it's a fascinating thing, but I like, you know, you, you, you again, a, a bunch of rabbit holes there. Teaching uh, parents to teach their kids. I started talking about Aaron and, and Salem. He says, hey, is, is the No Fear program, is he too young for that? And I told him something that, that comes right out of uh, uh, your video on your site. It's like, I said, I said to him, I said, I don't know your son well enough to know whether he's too old or too young for this, but you're not, and you're his dad, and you're his coach, and you could have some Marxist socialist teacher educating your kid, or you can be there and coach him in something I was never taught and guaranteed you were never taught. How do you look at fear differently? How do you, no one ever talks, even today, it's 2022. People aren't talking about, they still talk about fight, flight, freeze. Who cares? Yeah, it's, it, it's, that's, that's post-mortem. That's after the fight. I go, Adam, holy shit. I never seen anyone run that fast. Yeah, it was, that was flight. Holy shit, man. You went nuts there. You, you beat the guy. Up. That was, that was fight. That's post-mortem. I need tools for me, for my kids, for you, for your kids. Pre-fight. Holy shit. This is happening. And now, how do I, instead of recoil from the fear, lean into it in the moment and use fear as fuel so that it is now supporting what I'm going through because it's a choiceless choice. You're like, you're, you're in the shit. What are you going to do? And uh, I just want to end this, I, you know, Aaron got the No Fear program and uh, I was in Vegas six, eight months ago and he hands me a piece of paper and it's a handwritten letter. I should get it and show it to you on screen. It's amazing. It's a, it's a hand, it's a handwritten letter from Salem, this 10 year old. First of all, who, who writes letters, right? <laughs> you know, how, how cool, right? And, uh, it, it's this letter from this 10 year old kid thanking me for sharing this information and what he said. And I want every dad listening to this to think about this and I'll, I'll send you the, uh, an image, a picture of the letter so you, right. you can show because it's so powerful.
and you can see it's this 10 year old kid he's going like yeah I'm watching the videos of your dad he's doing this with his dad and you could hear their relationship changing in the letter it's making us both stronger it's making us both and you could tell like like I'm, I was thinking back to like when I was 10 you know just trying to get my dad's dad you want to play ball I'm too busy working you know just just you know crazy um, that here is a father and son talking about real-world event talking about fear and then uh, about a month later they were in a store having a sandwich and some weird guy walked in with some weird energy and uh, they're both studying this whole hey pre-contact you the uh, first place you hit is in your gut you got a emotional psychological relationships and how if you get a bad feeling your brain is gonna is going to turn that into a movie in your mind I got a bad feeling right you get you get a toothache you don't go I got a toothache that's more popcorn, <laughs> right you get a toothache you're going oh man and you start a movie in your mind oh shit is that did I just break a tooth do I need root it starts the, the negative movie and, and it's an interesting process but Aaron sees his son stop eating and he's watching the guy and he goes hey what's going on and in real time he uses the fear spike of the guy to start talking about situational awareness what would you do if the guy started to do something where are your improvised weapons could you run out of could you run out of here and then that leads into like you know your domain hey if something ever happened and dad had to do this these are the things I want you to think about but he used the genesis of that conversation was a real his he really observed his son they're eating and then he sees that like weird character come in and it's like stop biting what and he and and Aaron as his dad was able to pick up on that from this material again I got goosebumps because it's so, it's like it's transformative and it's not sexy right it wasn't like and then and then we did this spinning hook kick and it, it's all about pre-fight it's all about managing you know, you know your mind and situational awareness and and learning how to coach yourself through a situation and that's what we we need we, if this needs to be in schools and schools probably aren't going to put this in there that's not what they want so where's it going to come from it's got to come from parents yeah absolutely so we have that fear like you just said that making sure that we understand how to use fear as fuel and understand that it is something that's manageable is really the first step for us to understand saying that okay this is something that we can actually use uh in in an ex in the experience that our children are going to be facing throughout their lives and how can we get them to convert that from a something that's very natural in reality into something that's going to fuel their next action and then you go to explain something that i found that was really interesting in the reframe of it which is that fear is normal and we have to understand that but when it's misunderstood you say it becomes toxic um, and you go on to give us a little bit of a model in the book can you talk about that toxicity and what what because you, you kind of end it there you say fear is toxic what happens though when we are in when we have toxic fear so anytime we get a fear spike so a fear spike I, I always define it as just a stimulus it gets introduced too quickly you, you you know this has happened to me numerous times you're in a rush somewhere you leave and then you're all of a sudden you, you, you left a meeting and you're like oh shit my phone you know you it and I've done this where I put my phone in my 
my jacket pocket instead of my, I always have it in my, in my, in my, uh, uh, my pocket, my pants. And so I'll go like this and I'm like, shit, my phone. And then I'm immediately, I'm not patting myself down and going, oh, it's over here. As soon as that happened, I get a fear spike and my brain starts to race behind me. Where was I? Did I leave it on the bar? Did I leave it on the counter? Did I leave it in the bathroom? So your brain gets flooded with all this stuff. In that moment, my actual functional situational awareness is compromised. That's where you walk into a wall, right? That's where you trip on a sidewalk. That's where you get mugged. That's where you get, because now you're not thinking in terms of pragmatic situational awareness. You're flashing back to shit. So as soon as we get a fear spike, we create doubt and doubt creates hesitation. The two work together. As humans, and this, this would be a, a I mean, this is all part of, a part of the course, but imagine if every human understood this, you can't eliminate the fear spike because the fear, the fear spike is triggered by an external st stimulus. Uh, are you allergic to bees or wasps? No. No, no. but you know somebody that is, right? Of course. Right? So, you know, you could be out somewhere and and a bee or a wasp comes by and that person's like, oh shit, and they're freaking out. And everyone else is like, hey, stay cool. Don't, don't, don't agitate them. But that person has immediately gone into like a, like a freaked out state, right? So it's, um, and I, I use this as an example because the stimulus changes for each person and their relationship to it. Uh, you know, this is as a martial artist, you know, you're sparring with somebody, they throw a kick or punch in your face and you slip and you move and you parry. An untrained person is like, wow, right? So, uh, so we can, what's called stress inoculate, we can create this adaptation to things if they happen. But the neat thing is a true surprise stimulus isn't something you can practice. And so if I go back to, let's say the missing phone example to show, you know, we talk to get to the specific, I, I, I like to, I like to give really goofy, simple examples to help people understand how we get to what is, what, is, what is the toxic relationship is I think I forget my keys or my phone somewhere and I go, shit, shit. I, my heart starts to race. My physiology changes. And then I go, oh, fuck. and oh, it's right here. I, I forgot. I put it in my pocket here. And then I laugh at myself. But I got to come down from that, right? Well, I've just produced cortisol and stress and all the, all the other stuff around that. Oh, that was so close. That was a close call. So the fear spike will always create doubt and doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation mean I, I, I'm not thinking, forward thinking, or I'm not moving. If I don't resolve it after fear spike, doubt, hesitation, the next phase that enters is procrastination. So procrastination wouldn't be something uh, th that we could use this, I forgot my wallet or I forgot my keys somewhere or my phone, but procrastination now when I've got like a life event, I'm, I gotta fire somebody. I might get fired. I gotta break up with somebody. Uh, I wanna ask someone to marry me. I gotta have a hard talk with my kid about, about hey, we're getting divorced or I got to, I got to take this away from you. You're grounded. And I don't, whatever, whatever the stuff is where certain parents 
And I can just think of times where, you know, I'm going, where my wife is saying, hey, you need to talk to your son and tell him, no, 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 you know, you know when she says it's your son, <laughs> something bad happened, right? Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I'm like, wow, how was I like, and I'm hesitating because I'm going, what is the best way? And I don't want it to ruin our relationship, but I got to tell him this, but maybe it'll... So fear doesn't always like danger. Fear, fear is like, this is outside my comfort zone. I'm not good at this. So the fear, fear always creates doubt. Doubt always creates hesitation. Unchecked, that becomes procrastination. Unchecked, that becomes non-clinical anxiety. Unchecked, that can be in certain personality types. And depending on, on the nature of the problem, a clinical anxiety. And uh, the, that's, like that's time you can't get back. So I love to tell people that fear management at, at a metaphysical level actually becomes time management. Because when I'm in the fear loop, and this could happen to, to, to anybody, you know, I, it doesn't matter your training. Something, something's not working and you're like, ah, oh, shit. You're, and you're trying to make a call and something's not working. You're eating up time. And, and the more stressed you get over it, the less coordinated you are, the more frustrated you get. But that's, that's the sequence. And think of them like dominoes. And that's when it becomes, when you get into non-clinical or clinical anxiety, that's when it's toxic, right? That's when it's really mm. bad for you. Uh, so if, if, if you, you know, and everybody's gone through this where you finally go enough and, and you make a move and it could be, I mean, there's a, a million examples where we've all hesitated and then we finally pick up the phone and we go, Hey, I'm sorry, you know, or Hey, you're fired. Hey, or, you know, can I have a job? Can I have a raise? Whatever it is. And then once that event has passed, all of us go, wow, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> and we don't realize like that, how that's really what we should be racing towards. How quickly can we get to the, I'm glad that's all, that's done. And so, I don't know, I, hopefully that I'm trying to, I'm trying to explain it in, 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 the, in the simplest way possible. Nobody ever said to me growing up, Fear is natural. Fear is normal. Not, not once. So when I'd feel it, like it's a, it's a, it feels like someone shoved a fucking vacuum in your ass and they're sucking out your insides. You're like, why am I so nervous? I'd be, I can remember being up at a, 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 the top. I was a really, really good skier. And I'm at the top of the hill getting ready to go. And my coach says to me, how do you feel, kid? And I'm like, great, coach. I had just pissed five times. I wanted to projectile vomit. <laughs> My heart was pounding. I was sweating and it was like, it was below freezing above the tree line. And my palms are sweating. I'm so nervous. But I lied to him at 15 years old and said, great coach. Especially guys, like we don't, you know, I'm not all mush mush like, you know, oh, vulnerability is a strength. Transparency is the strength. It's not about playing a vulnerability card. When you need to be yeah. vulnerable, yeah. be vulnerable. You know. So, uh, go ahead. That, that's an interesting point, and I'm I'm wondering if, when you 
when you explain this and you teach this to your students or if a parent explains this and works with their child on this and they go through this kind of this progression as you're explaining it, you know, once, once I understand it's manageable, then I, then I kind of have permission to step into that conversation with my child. And then once I'm able to step into that and I explain to them, like, look, being scared is normal. And I talk them through that. And then when we go into the, well, how do we, what, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, fear tricks your brain or tricks you into thinking that you're not ready. And we start taking those steps. Does that, does that give us better agency when like, so I think what I'm trying to say is that if we're able to explain and work with our children on the fact that fear is natural, this is what's going to happen to your body. And just by knowing that, by knowing that, you know, field vision or, you know, or peripheral fields are going to close, our, our arms and legs are going to get numb because the fight or flight, you know, blood's going to go to the major muscles or we're going to feel the, the need to urinate or defecate to get the, you know, so don't, internal injuries don't get septic, all these primal responses that, you know, that, that happen. If we explain all that contextual to the, to the, to our child, is that going to help them in those moments have better agency over those functions? And are they, it just by knowing it and having these conversations, do you feel, or is there a practice that we have to step into, whether it's exposure to small bits of fear over and over again, or is it just the basic knowledge of understanding that your judgment's going to get skewed and all these things are going to happen? What do you, what do you say about that? You know, it, it's a combo. And obviously, uh, you know, just listening to you just describe the, the, the magic of the human weapon system is mm. make anyone throw up, right? Our body will do all those, all these things. You will defecate, you will, but like, that's, that's like, you're about to get mauled by a bear, right? You're like, you're yeah. not going to, yeah. you're not, you're not going to do that. Um, you know, when uh, three bullies are chasing you from behind school and they want to beat the shit. Out Absolutely. Of you. Uh, yeah. you might piss your pants, but I, so I think you know context is everything, and and how how yep. deeply you share stuff. The, what I've noticed is this: a buddy of mine, Maurice Smith, was a UFC heavyweight champion. He was a K1 uh, Thai boxer. I don't know if you know the name, uh, if yep. you remember the name, but Maurice uh, Maurice Smith, and uh, he was always so so cool, like so laid back, and. Um, he, um, I like interviewing fighters. I like interviewing warriors. I, I all interview victims, and I'm always trying to. I, I, I recognize that I will never have the cumulative experience of all these people, nor do I necessarily want some of the experiences they've had. But my, it's not a passion. It's an obsession for helping make people safer sooner. It's critical that I talk to people. And I've talked to people like days after an, like a, an event, a shooting, a stabbing or whatever, because of my network, you know, they're like, okay, are you okay to talk about this? You know, so, and, and I use that to go, oh, everything that I've been teaching still makes sense. And, and I want, so when I stand up and I share an idea, I'm not hypothesizing. It's, it's intuitively and, and, and factually vetted through other people's experience yes that's exactly what happened that's how i felt so the reason i brought up maurice is uh i asked him i said hey man what's your pre-fight ritual like what's your you know mike tyson 
used to throw up before his fights. He'd cry sometimes. George St. Pierre recently said that the worst day of his life was every day he had to fight, that he was so scared. And he's really gotten outspoken about how fearful he was. But if you saw him doing a Superman punch, ripped, you know, throwing, like, punching BJ Penn or Matt Serra in the face or whatever, and I've said, you got that guy's like, a minute ago, he was like, fucking terrified. You're like, what, St. Pierre? What? Tyson. So I asked Maurice, I said, Maurice, how do you feel before fights? I love interviewing, uh, you know, real gladiators talk about fear. And he looks at me and he goes, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, do you have a job? And I said, yeah, I do. He said, are you afraid to go to work? And I said, no. He said, me either. And I was like, holy shit, that might be, someone should write that line in a movie. Like that would have, I'm not, this is my job. I'm not afraid to go to work. Imagine, Adam, if I, because this guy has won a UFC title. He's won K1, Thai boxing. He's an amazing fighter. Imagine if I decide to become a coach and I tell everybody, you need to be like Maurice Smith. You need to model him. You're going to, this is the music he listens to. It's uh, soul and rhythm and blues. And he literally, like pre-fights, you'd see him like lying on a, on a massage table like this. Just listening to, you know, Beats headphones on, whatever, listening to, if they had Beats back then, I don't know, but whatever, listening to this music. Well, I've been inside the locker rooms of UFCs and pro fights and stuff like that. And there's one guy always sitting in the corner and his leg is like bouncing like this and he's sitting there like this, like he's got the sewing machine leg. There's somebody else like walking around, punching themselves in the face, doing this. There's another guy in front of a locker, you know, in front of a locker, banging his head on the locker. And then there's Maurice lying there with headphones on. And, and what, what I tell people when I coach coaches, I go, you cannot tell somebody what their soundtrack's gonna be. You cannot tell them what their pre-fight ritual's gonna be. You can guide them. Your job is to figure out what's gonna work for them. And I guess where I'm going with this is like, like the timeline of violence, there's uh, a, a, a timeline of osmosis and education. There's things you understand about life and tactical patience and fear now that, you know, if you went back 25 years ago when you're starting martial arts would make zero sense to you. If somebody, uh, I'm right. regular, I have three kids, right? So I'm making these, these huge observations about life and business and happiness and focus and fear. And I message my kids and half the time they don't even answer me, right? Um, <laughs> you know, the other half, the other half the time they're like, you know, there's, they're 30, 25 and 20. Thanks dad. Thanks dad. And I was thinking, and I do this probably two, three times a year. I go, if I was 25 years old and I had somebody message me this, I might be going, what is this old man talking about, right? Like, like, what is this, like Obi-Wan Kenobi shit? What is this like? Um, people have to go through that. And, and we can't legislate self-awareness. You can't, you need to do this. And uh, I don't know, I lost, I lost, <laughs> I went down such a, 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 a crazy rabbit hole. The Maurice Smith story was just this, this idea that, uh, we, we can we can go wow 
Tony wrote this thing, Making Friends with Fear, and look at this line and show that to 10 people. And they're like, why are you so excited about that? I guess that's the message there. Yeah. We, need to plant, we need to plant the seeds. We need to do, listen, in that, in, in that letter that, that Salem wrote me, one of my favorite lines in our course is, you can't be brave if you're not afraid. You can't be brave if you're not afraid. So, uh, as I said earlier, and I think I speak for you and everyone else, like nobody when we were growing up said, hey, so there's, there's instinctive fear, there's psychological fear. Instinctive or intuitive fear is like, like you sense danger, it's an intuition. You know something's wrong, but you don't know why. You don't have facts yet. What's missing in the education, I think we're very unique as a company in what we do, is I go, like, like that's the autonomic, that's the, that's happening without, you don't, you don't understand that process. Hey, I was in my rest and digest parasympathetic state, and then suddenly I switched over to sympathetic, like, none of us can, can modulate that. You can't go, oh man, just a, I just need a little bit more adrenaline, where's that button, right? Like, you can't control that, but what starts to happen here is the fear spike, we somehow need to understand what that is. And our brain does a horrible job at turning that into a horror movie. And so it'll go from, oh my God, I think I'm gonna fall out. Oh shit, I'm gonna, what if I get abducted and get murdered and tortured? And, like, and it's like within a second, you know, I'm the lead character in a horror movie that my mind, and we see this all the time, right? So I think that's the, that's the thing. And like in that letter, it says, you know, Salem wrote me, says, hey, thanks for teaching me that I can't be brave unless I'm afraid. So we do a, like our best effort to get people to realize that fear can be fuel. And Customato, speaking of Tyson, Customato, Mike Tyson's original coach, he has this great, great uh, quote that I should memorize, but I, I, I haven't. It's, it's quite long. But he said, you know, fire can be used to cook your food and warm you. But an out-of-control fire can also kill you and burn down your house and destroy everything, right? And it was this beautiful metaphor of, like, it's what you do with the fire. And that's, to me, what fear is like. And there's lots of times, I'm not perfect, there's lots of times where I sit there and I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening. And then I, you know, and I, I'll give you a great example. Like two weeks to flatten the curve, all my business was live training. All of our equipment sales was a result of live training. After about two months into two weeks to flatten the curve, and all most of my clients are law enforcement military. Well, they all stopped. Right? Because everyone was deployed and then it was defund the police and then it was, and we had like canceled 35 classes like within those first three months. Wow. And I was sitting in my office and I very quickly did the math and I, I all of a sudden it was like, oh my God. And I realized I was going to lose everything. In a minute, I went from this is fine, you know, I'm home with the family, and with the kids, I'm not traveling, this isn't so bad. I live in a nice house in a nice area, uh, area uh, neighborhood, and you know, I've, I've worked my ass off to get here. 
got my beautiful wife and the kids and dogs and and I went from like literally this is how fast the brain works I went from this is fun to you know, another three more agencies just canceled or postponed that's not sustainable that's okay this is hundreds of thousands of dollars and this is and literally in that moment I went from this is good to a fucking horror movie and it was all in my mind we use an acronym in our course and it's in the book of course that, that you read false expectations appearing real it's when we're visualizing a future event that hasn't happened but it's debilitating us in, in the present and when you're doing that you're in that infinite fear loop and that can last uh, you know hours minutes hours days months so uh, it's a, a, a lot of people I've had some some uh, neck and back injuries as a result of all the experimentation I've done and uh, some pretty bad nerve pain and I found a protocol I'll do a shout out to Eric Goodman from foundation training for anyone who's got some back issues it's the only thing that's really given me back some of my life because I mean there was a point where like I couldn't run 50 yards without my fingertips going numb I mean it was just insane uh, uh, I haven't worked out like I haven't touched a weight in five years just because of the, the compression pain and a couple of years ago I call up Eric and his system starting to work for me I call it tactical yoga it's this really interesting uh, 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 tension system to create space in the spine and uh, it's starting to work and I call him up ecstatic Eric I just ran like a hundred yards my fingertips didn't go numb it wasn't comfortable I, I was like I literally I was, I was crying at him because I thought I was done and uh, he's so happy we're screaming on the phone and everything right and I go and I say to him if this works how much longer will I have to do it and he pauses and he goes, um, the rest of your life, Tony, <laughs> right? <laughs> this, this is the thing that, right? Like us aging athletes, <clears throat> especially an older generation, it's like, so I'm going to do, so I just, I'm going to do this. And it's like the, the infomercial generation. Hey, Tony, I'm going to get your no fear program. And so my, my fears are going to go away. No, your fears don't go away. It's called fear management, not fears go away. It's called fear management. Do you know when the next, whether it's pandemic, government overreach, violent encounter, financial crisis, every one of those should inspire fear in us. Maybe inspire is not the good word, but it's the technical term. So, and that's why we switched from this, right? There's a, there's a great company called No Fear, yeah. a adrenaline company, right? And, uh, and that's the origin of this, actually. You know, I used to have every No Fear shirt because I grew up afraid. So I bought them and I would joke when I would do seminars. I go, hey, you guys, dig this. How many of you want No Fear? Yeah. I go, guess what? This shirt's defective. I bought all their shirts. They're all defective because I still have fear. And people would laugh. And I go, I say, I realize there's no such thing as No Fear. But there is getting to No Fear. And 
And like the Maurice Smith example, if people are still tracking the multiple <laughs> open loops I'm, I'm, I'm sharing here, is Maurice Smith's strategy for prepare, preparing for a fight is not going to work for you or me. It might ex experiment, but you know, if, if you like, you know, Led Zeppelin or Five Finger Death Punch or Justin Bieber or, you know, Barry White, you got to find the music that makes you, you know, hit your flow state and, fight and get in your zone and then uh, your ritual and, and that can shift over time. And so our whole program is really about, it doesn't change. It's not like, hey, uh, and we tell people this, like, you're not going to have no fear ever. What you're going to have is a system that allows you to experience fear. And then rather than, remember I said earlier that fear management is time management, rather than wasting three days and then going, oh my God, I'm glad that's over with. Get to the, oh my God, I'm glad that's over with in two days or one day. <laughs> As opposed to like wasting all that time that you can't get back. Time is the only resource we can't regenerate. And, and getting into it, you know. So it's, it's about being more efficient with our fear. Learning how to, you know, think of fear as a fuel. Fear as a, as a radar blip that says, oh shit, something's off. I'm out of my comfort zone. And, uh, you know, what should I do now? What is, what is the safest thing for me to do right now? Not playing it safe again, but choosing safety. Hmm. Tony, I, I want to be really sensitive of your time here and I got so many more questions to ask you, but I'm going to leave it at uh, just two quick ones. Uh, you know, I really want to ask about does negative bias come into play when you talk about the, um, about fear being contagious. I've got a whole number of kind of like technical questions that I really want to kind of understand better. But that just means I got to go deeper into into your your work, which I'm looking let's, forward let's to. Do, let's do a, if 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 if, um, if your audience digs this, let's do another call for sure. Great, I, w I would love to, um, yeah. and, and I appreciate that. That's very that's very kind and generous. Um, the next question I have is, um, and, and you don't have to answer it. Uh, but it is a, a question I have of curiosity, and I'm not even going to put this, uh, I feel that this is sensitive right now. Um, I'm not going to put it in any of the promotion material, or I'm not going to put it in the, the description of this content. But I'd like to hear your opinion. Right now, it's very popular in social media uh, and in our mainstream media to be um, pointing out the potential flaws that law enforcement has made in response to uh, the shootings that that recently happened. This is something that also happened at, in Parkland. It's also something that happened in uh, in Colorado in '99. Um, but I think that there's a discussion that someone like yourself is only qualified, and people who are in higher levels of law enforcement training to understand and determining whether or not that this is a breakdown of central command. Or is it something that is fear-centered because the mainstream media is saying, really, like, kind of positioning the, the, the topic around they're too scared to act. And this is coming from people who've never put themselves in the line of fire in that position most of the time. Uh, and I'm really going to be a bit selfish here because I want to take this opportunity to hear your opinion of that. 
but also give you the opportunity to say, hey, look, now's not the time. And I completely respect that. But I think that we're mischaracterizing law enforcement uh, through mainstream media and social media so much. Uh, and I think that there'd be a lot of people equipped with your knowledge and what you have to say that would uh, be helped. Yeah, I am. Um... So the whole No Fear program is it's not taught anywhere like it's 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 direct knowledge through me and my team and we work with a lot of law enforcement agencies but not enough and um, everyone who goes through it because it's woven into all of our our technical and tactical courses and everyone is like holy shit uh it's it's, it's, it's a game changer because there are lots of situations where we get a fear spike. And now, like I said earlier, fear creates doubt, doubt creates hesitation. Hesitation, if it's unchecked, if you don't know, if you don't go, what the fuck are we waiting for? And in the case of this, uh, listen, you had parents going into the school apparently uh, you've had the, of course, the classic story of the, uh, the border force off duty going in, grabbing the bar, the barber's shotgun and making entry. Well, if he can get in, why couldn't those 19 other cops get in? And I wasn't there. I, I just saw some, I mean, I saw, I saw something on Twitter the other day is like, is it just like the, 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 the quote was, is it just too much to ask to get a straight story? Like just somebody tell the truth once. And we're all so confused with, with the media and, and the product, cause it's just fucking a propaganda machine now. Without knowing anything, uh, like were there six cops clearing the school and there was 19 outside? Like, I don't know that, right? Meaning, you you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen, but I don't know that. I my under my what I understand is this: is that this border patrol agency went uh, uh, agent went in, and maybe a couple cops went with him. Everyone else stood outside. That's what I understand. Is that your understanding? Yes, the, that's correct. Okay. Um, and I was talking about this with my wife, and and you know we teach a lot in Texas. We haven't taught that agency. And these guys, every week we have a course somewhere and I, I get on the call on Thursday usually. And I thank them for doing the thankless job to, to that they don't get thanked enough, they don't get paid enough to deal with the shit that they deal with, to be emotionally, psychologically, verbally abused the way they are. And, uh, and I always, I always thank them. But I'm talking about, I'm generalizing. Just like there's bad doctors and bad politicians and bad teachers, like there's also good teachers and good doctors. And there are, there are cops that shouldn't be cops. I can't imagine, I told this to my wife, I can't imagine, and I said, listen, I'm a fear management expert and I, and I shoot. If I were outside and I heard uh, AR rounds, which sound really different than nine millimeter, 40 millimeter. If I heard those rounds going off 
and I heard people screaming and I heard that I could imagine myself going, oh my fucking God, I can't believe this. And I could see myself, if I thought about it for too long, and this is the problem, and I said it earlier, a fear spike is natural. And now you're in the fear loop. And this is the difference between people who are trained in, the, in understanding the psychology of fear versus the physiology of fear. Understanding that you're going to get tacky psyche, a big fancy uh, term for things went into slow motion. Auditory exclusion, I can't hear things around me. You know, tunnel vision. All of these things are physiological changes that happen as you're preparing for danger and in danger. None of that stuff is relevant if you're immobilized by fear, the psychology of fear. The physiology of fear is the fight, flight, freeze. The, none of it matters if you can't take appropriate action. I can't imagine, so I, I said to my wife, I can see one guy outside going, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. I don't have the right training. I just, I just got on the police force. I've been a cop for, for you know, for a week now. Holy shit. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Oh fuck. Another round went off. And then two cops run up and they go, we're scared. I can't imagine like three guys with guns not going in. One guy like the Parkland, no excuse. Listen, you can't, it's, it's an unspoken rule. You don't let kids get murdered. That's all. It's, it, you just don't. Um, the, <clears throat> so to me, aside from all the breakdown shit, like if I were standing there, I would, I would want to believe without judging these people because it sounds like I am, that if I was there and I was like the 19th cop to show up and I go, what's fucking going on? They go, there's a guy inside there killing people, killing kids. Why are we outside? Uh, yeah. Uh, commander said we need to wait for um, the FBI to get here or uh, he's locked himself or let's fucking go. Let's go. We get six of us on the door, the rest of us at the windows. Fucking rake out the window, shoot out the window, get fucking get in there. Somebody get a key move. I, I don't. So the only, the only reason somebody doesn't do anything in life, in anything, forget the shootings, is because of fear. You peel any fucking onion at them. You got everything planned. Okay, man, you got, you got, you got your money, you got your loan, you got this. Sign here and the house is yours. Why aren't you signing? Sign here and the divorce is final. Go, go tell her you want to marry her. Punch that guy in the face. It's you. Everyone has an answer. Well, I, I didn't. My, my hand was sore. I, that was, it's not my lucky pen. Whatever. Everyone's gonna. But at the end of it, when you when you go, what is the emotional, psychological energy that's influence, influencing action versus inaction, it's fear. I believe that. You know, and I tell people like, you know, that, that the, the, if, if we could figure out, and that's the self-awareness piece, to sit there and go, like, why am I standing outside the building and there's a 
a violent. And there's some people that are saying stuff. I'm all over the place with this because it's, it's it's emotional. But yeah, yeah. The, the you know there is a lot of people saying like there there's nothing in the cop's contract that says he has to give up his life for you that he's got to you know if he knows he's going to be harmed he doesn't have to that's true get another fucking job then you know it's it's i don't know uh, i i with without knowing all the details and seeing and seeing that i don't get, even if the policy was you know we we did we did something with a group where where um their policy was very specific. It was in actually in New York City, that if there was a hostage rescue situ situation, that um, they had to set up a perimeter and wait for the FBI SWAT team, the New York SWAT team. And I was like, really? That's what you're gonna do in a hostage rescue? In New York, you're gonna wait for them to get here? They're like, yeah, that's, that's our policy. I said, okay. It's a long response yeah. time. Yeah, and and you have no idea, but at, so at what point is it? I'm afraid to go in versus I'm afraid to go in because I'll get fired. I'm afraid to go in because I'm going to get sued. I'm afraid to go in because I might miss my shot. I'm afraid to go in because I'm a dad. And what if something happens to me? But all of them are fears. Why did the border yeah, patrol yeah. agent go in? So ostensibly, for the purpose of just a debate, everyone there was trained in the use of a firearm. Everyone there was trained in, in clearing schools. Everyone in there uh, understood like like room to room close quarter battle maneuver. Why'd one guy go? Because he could manage his fear. Uh, yeah. Um, Tony, I, yeah, that's a, I, I don't want to leave it at that point, And I deeply respect your willingness to come back and uh, continue this conversation. Um, I do want to be, like I said, be respectful of time here. And we've gone, we've gone a lot further than I expected uh, on going with you. Uh, and I want to thank you for that. I, I deeply appreciate you. Uh, and I appreciate your willingness to come back uh, and have a second conversation. I want to thank you for spending time with us on this episode today. It's truly appreciated. I hope you got some value from it. If you want to go ahead and leave any comments or questions, reach out to me directly. I personally answer all of the questions that you have. If you know someone like yourself who may find value in this episode, then please go ahead and share it. We'd also like to ask you to subscribe to Close Quarter Dad. This way you get updated every time a new episode comes out wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you so much once again, and we'll see you on the next episode of Close Quarter Dad.